to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast for advice, strategies, and success stories on returning to work after taking a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of I Relaunch, and your host today. And today we are speaking with Wendy Sachs, author of Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers. Wendy is also working on a documentary about the record number of women running for office in 2018. I'm eager to hear about Wendy's own career path, what led to her writing the book, and what her best advice is for relaunching and career transitioning. Wendy also just delivered an excellent TED Talk at TEDx Beacon Street in Boston on humiliation. And if we have time, we will discuss that as well. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much for having me, Carol. Yes, we're so excited. Um, there's so much to talk about, uh, but let's start with your own career story. Can you just walk us through um, your own experience and maybe talk about what led to writing the book? Sure. Well, I like to say that I have had so many jobs that I've, um, I I started on Capitol Hill as a press secretary. Um, I moved into television. I worked at CNN and Fox um, and Dateline NBC. Um, from there, I moved into, I wanted to get some digital experience and I worked for Larry Ellison until that company blew up. Um, it was this new internet computer company. Uh, wow. From there, I decided I was going, I had a baby and I wanted to figure out how people do that, all of that, right? How do you balance work and life? And I wrote a book called How She Really Does It. And yes, that was sort of I the beginning. You remember that book? Uh, yeah, yes, I think you were I one of my it. early fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interviewed high profile women to really figure out how do people balance work and family. And that was sort of at the beginning of mom blogging and the whole like mom blogging conferences and this whole new world. And people were actually starting to care about work life. So that sort of had my career path pivot once again. And I started doing a lot of talking in the work life space that also led me into public relations. Um, I realized that I couldn't go back into television. I had young kids. I was always hopping on planes and traveling around the country and crashing stories. PR seemed like a much more manageable lifestyle at the time. I did PR. From there, I moved into being the editor-in-chief of a company called Care.com. Did that for a few years. Um, Again, I kept pivoting and pivoting. And I think the whole point of my career path was always wanting to stay relevant. So I say I've pivoted so much in my career, I'm practically pirouetting. And it was it was truly after losing my job um, when I was working at Great Advertising as a full-time freelancer because everyone's a freelancer these days. And they had hired me to um, to head up their, their sort of emerging content studio. And everything, of course, has changed since I started my career. Writing is now considered content. And everything is becoming, you know, digital has disrupted so many industries. And when I lost my job because they realized they just couldn't pay me, they couldn't actually pay for the work in this new studio, I started interviewing at what I call all the bright and shiny media startups in New York City. And inevitably, I would be sitting across from a bearded millennial wearing a flannel shirt, 
And <laughs> it was after, I mean, it was truly like, it was a cliche wherever I went. And it was after one particular particularly depressing job interview where I'm sitting down and I think they were looking to hire a social media manager or something, you know, sort of basic like that. Clearly I was qualified. Clearly I had the experience. I'd worked in, I'd worked in communications. I worked at PR agencies. I had worked in television. I was a TV producer. I had done all of these, you know, what I thought were, you know, high profile, interesting jobs that gave me gravitas. And yet I couldn't sell my story to this, to this man who I was sitting across from and I had pulled out my wad of my paper resume and he's looking at it and he's like first of all horrified because he said around here we don't kill trees everything's online everything's digital so already I'm feeling sort of ancient and old right like I, I like clearly I'm violating some sort of millennial protocol by even delivering paper to him and I'm like feeling very shameful I'm shoving my wad of paper back into my my laptop case and he's opening up his MacBook and the very first thing he sees is he sees like the first thing on my resume which was that I was a Capitol Hill press secretary. And I will tell you something now, this is going back, you know, a million years to when the Clintons were first on the Hill. And, it, and that was a job that had always opened doors for me. But this man's response was, you know, around here, we have really good relationships with the media. We're not hanging up on anybody. And I look at him and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I'm not a character in Veep or the House of Cards. And this is what I say. And again, I realize that there's sort of almost a cultural disconnect going on. You know, I'm feeling, you know, like I'm a thousand years old and I'm not relating to him. And there's something really wrong here. So as I walk out of his office and I grab my bottle of coconut water and kale chips and I sort of hang my head low as I walk onto Fifth Avenue, I think to myself, I need to do something different. I need to better connect the dots for people as I share my story and create my narrative. And it was sort of at this moment, it was almost this like eureka moment that I had where I thought, well, I want to write a book about what's happening because, you know, as a writer, I feel like I write about what I know and what I need to know. And I was trying to really figure out what is, what do I need to do to, to really stay relevant? I'm over 40. I'm in an industry that's very young um, in media. What do I need to do? And I turned to Silicon Valley because I feel like, you know, I, I call them like our North Star. Everything comes out of the startup spirit in, in the Silicon Valley these days from how we, you know, buy our food, how we communicate, how we date, all of those things. And I was looking at the themes that have been really embraced in Silicon Valley. And the one thing that sort of was the overarching idea was this concept of embracing failure, right? Like, and I thought, well, I have this very intimate relationship with failure. I get that. So, you know, let, what if I embrace failure? What if I develop more of an entrepreneurial mindset? You know, I, I started looking at all these different ideas. What if I learned how to sort of create my own serendipity? All of these concepts that were very part and parcel to the whole startup spirit. And that really became the sort of outline for my book on fearless and free. What if women sort of, you know, held on to these ideas, these themes, these formulas that are working so well in the startup world? What if we employed it and we used it for ourselves in our own career? It's not just how to get a job, but it's about a mindset. How do we think differently? How do we create opportunity for ourselves? How do we brand ourselves? How do we network better? What are these different things that we should be doing to, to create better opportunity and to be able to pivot? 
Well, that is amazing. And uh, all of those experiences and the parallels that you drew and the looking at Silicon Valley as the North Star, super interesting and different than what what I hear a lot about. So that's one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you was to get inside this a little bit more. So can you talk about um, some of the themes that emerged um, in the book that uh, you ended up writing about um, and maybe some of the lessons learned? Yeah. So, you know, th- I definitely think that this con- this concept of failure, right, is, is of course, become so trendy and, and is also, like, glorified, you know, like, we right. should all be, you know, embracing failure. No one really wants to, like, fall on their face. We can't afford to do that. And there, there's sort of this, you know, sensationalism around us. So I'm not suggesting that. But rather, when I dug into failure, I was really looking at female confidence. What is it that will let us take risks? Why is it that the boys in the hoodie in Silicon Valley or, you know, in startups around the country. Why are they much more willing to take risks and go all in? Why are they not afraid of failing? Why is it sort of acceptable? And of course, you dig into this, and this is not just my own personal feelings about this. There's plenty of studies that show that we are just girls and women. We are not raised to to take risks. We, we generally play it safe. We are applauded when we're perfect. We're applauded when we get things right, not when we go out there and we really challenge ourselves and, and where we you know, may fail. We don't want to fail. We want to get it right. So I think that concept of how do we sort of build our confidence to first of all, take that first step is really, really important. And I really spent some time looking at studies about female confidence. And the one thing that really came out of it it does seem like there's a little bit of a genetic connection to confidence, and some of us may be more genetically predisposed to being more confident than others. But if we have not hit the genetic lottery on confidence, the fastest way to grow confidence is to take risks. It's by starting to take some action, doing anything, just taking that first step forward and putting ourselves out there. Um, and, and when it comes to, and maybe we'll get to this later in the podcast, but when it comes to, you know, what do you, what do you do? What is this action all about? The first thing might even just be saying, I'm looking for a new job, (laughs) you know, and letting people know that can feel sometimes risky. And that's the other thing, you know, for women, what's risky for me, Carol, is maybe very different than what's risky for you. You know, like everyone has their own feelings of where they feel insecure. So it's about pushing outside of the comfort zone and getting yourselves comfortable and being uncomfortable and letting that be an okay place because that's truly where things start bubbling up and good ideas are like noodling in your brain and you start really building on that sense of confidence. So that's one of the, what's that's one of the big themes that I feel like almost rounds out everything else that you need to do. First of all, you need to feel like you can do it. And and even if you're not, you can fake it for a little while until you're getting comfortable, but it's about getting out there. Yeah. So let's just, I just want to probe that a little bit because I've always felt having relaunched myself and I was, I relaunched my own career after being out of the workforce for 11 years. And of course, since then we've worked with thousands of people, men too, but mostly women um, who have taken career breaks for a whole range of reasons and, and then are getting back to work. And um, one of the hardest things is first people have to figure out what they want to do. And that's a whole separate topic. They have to do that all over again. But the other really hard piece is when people take the step from researching companies online and sort of being in their house and applying online to taking the step out the door, out of the house to have the conversations. And we say that's an important step is to get out of the house, but it's really hard. 
And that's where this confidence, and also I know another theme in your book is resilience, um, where, where those two pieces fit in. So I just wanted to know if you can comment on that, sort of how to help guide people to get out of the house and have those first conversations when it seems pretty intimidating and how are they going to be able to talk about themselves and what they want to do and talk with people they don't know that well. Well, I mean, I think everyone operates a little bit differently. Maybe it's like putting together a list of these are the things I'm going to accomplish over the next week or over the next 30 days. Um, these are my first steps. I'm going to be making phone calls to these people. I'm going to, you know, get dates on the calendar to actually go see people. Um, and, as, you know, I would also argue that, you know, updating your resume is really important. So there's, there's so many different pieces to it. It is very mental. And I think finding other people who are sort of can help support you, finding your squad, you know, other women who may be in the, in the same position. So you can almost be checking in on each other to say like, what have you done today? Um, where, you know, what are the, what are the actions you've actually made? You know, and it is beyond just sending out an email. And by the way, I, I, you know, I know that sort of like let's meet for coffee and pick your brain thing used to be a thing. I don't think it's a thing anymore. People do not have time to have their brains picked. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is so important. Asking to think about what you're asking people to do in terms of the time commitment. Yes, I'm right with you on that. Absolutely. I mean, I think these sort of co going in for, you know, informational interviews, that still is relevant and still exists and some places may be open to that. Um, I write about in the book about not wasting the bullet. And that means knowing your ask, being really strategic about your ask and, and, and then executing on that. So that's if, you know, Carol, I know you're really connected to, you know, X company out there because I've seen, you know, you do a lot of work with them. I've been following you on LinkedIn. I know that you seem to know these different people, not just are they LinkedIn connections, but you actually seem to have a relationship. And I would say, Carol, I'm really interested in working at X company or learning more about the returnship program that they have or because I've done some research, I see what's happening. Would you mind making an introduction? Here's what I know. Here's what I'm looking for. Something very specific. So, you know, you could actually do that and it's not going to take a lot of time on your part. You don't have to think really about the email that you're writing. You're feeling good that it's so targeted that you, you know, I think people are generally happy to help, but you need to know what your ask is and you need to be really prepared rather than very vague. Um, no one has time. People are so busy. People don't have time for sort of vague asks and frankly, it's not going to happen. My other issue is planning that coffee. That coffee is probably the least important thing on someone's calendar. It's going to get pushed off that calendar. You know, that whole planning on meeting, you know, you know, four weeks from next Tuesday, that will be like, never, you will never have see that person. <laughs> so being my, I mean, I don't want to be so like such a, like a, you know, Debbie Downer about it, but it's just that it, it's my experience that it's very, those things are very hard. And if you're, if you're hanging on to a hope that that coffee is going to be what's going to start moving you in a direction forward, I think that you might be a little bit misguided. So be very direct instead in an email or in a phone call. And so you can really start taking action. I think that's my, my biggest thing is to really truly start, start taking even many steps forward, but, but have some progress. Otherwise it can feel very defeating.
Um, so anyway, I interrupted you in the middle of talking about some of the lessons learned and you were talking about confidence. Um, I, I know resilience is another theme um, in your book. And are there other themes that uh, have come out that you can talk to us all about? Sure. You know, it's funny. There, there are so many. There, there are a bunch. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, and I know this is probably close to your heart too, because for a living now, you you create these these um, networks and conferences and places for women to connect, right? I mean, that is part and parcel to iRelaunch. And I think it's so interesting, the, uh, the concept of networking. So I've been speaking around the country as I've been, you know, on the road promoting my book for about the past year or so. And even when I was interviewing and researching people for the book, and I would say, I, I would say in a room, who here likes to network? And it's really interesting because maybe some hands go, let's say it's a room of 100, maybe 10, 15 hands go up. And those hands are like, uh, like thinking that they should raise their hands. Yeah. You know, they're they're like, oh yeah, sure, I like to network because I'm. She was like, you know, you're you know, you're ambitious and you know, you're forward thinking and you know, and all of that. And maybe you're really an extrovert. But truly, when I say, do you really like to network? The hands sort of come down. The truth is that women as a whole, we don't really like that idea of networking. It could feel very cold and very calculated and very inauthentic. But we keep being told, you need to network, you need to go to events, and you need to swap business cards and get five business cards. And I don't know whoever came up with like the number of business cards that you need to receive to make it an effective networking event, like five or three, or who comes up with those cards? I will tell you right now, I'm sitting here, I don't know if you can see me, I have all of these cards sitting on my desk. Those cards usually don't become anything. But I think if we start re sort of phrasing or rethinking what networking really is, what is, are women so good at? We're really, really good at building relationships and collaborating. So if we even think that when we go to an event, right, and we're, we're sitting at a table and we're waiting for a speaker to talk, I will tell you in 10 minutes, not even maybe 10 minutes, five minutes around the table, I already know, you know, you know, if someone's married, where they live, if they've got kids, maybe even like where they bought their shoes, like we quickly form these relationships with one another. And so if we can start even in our own heads, rethinking about what this is, that we're really going there to create some relationships. And those relationships should really be long lasting. And those people are people we should then keep in touch with and that we should be reaching out to and really developing something because it's those people, it's those people who you have a real relationship with, they will be your currency. They will truly be able Will be the people who can help, you know, tap you into a new job opportunity or you can reach out to and then there you feel like you, there's something authentic there. And women really like that authenticity. We want to know that that person is not just, you know, swapping eggs for milk. We're not just exchanging cards, but there's something a little bit deeper and meaningful there. You're listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we talk about advice, strategies and success stories for returning to work after taking a career break. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch, and your host today. And today I'm speaking with Wendy Sachs, who's the author of Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers. And we're just in the middle of a conversation right now about networking and authenticity and how, uh, especially for women, authenticity is really an important piece of having these conversations with people who you're just meeting for the first time. And Wendy, that kind of brings me to the point in your book where you have a whole section on um, branding is not bragging and, right. and, and how people can get comfortable talking about themselves when they don't feel 
um, comfortable bragging about themselves and what's the difference and how do you finesse that? And is that part of this authenticity discussion in, in the networking framework? You know, it, it is really interesting. Men tr traditionally or typically, I would say, have not had a hard time sort of boasting about themselves. You know, they'll quickly take ownership of something. Oh, yeah, I did that. I did that project. You know, at work, they'll raise their hands. Whose idea was that that was my idea? You know, who who wants to take this job? I'll take the job on. Um, men don't really have a hard time with... Um, claiming something as their own, <laughs> even if it's not necessarily their own. Whereas women, we, we have been almost raised in our culture to believe that it's just sort of not polite, that it's a little obnoxious, that it's a little arrogant to be too boastful, to be too braggy. You're not going to have friends. People might not like you. To keep our heads down a little bit and, and play the good girl and, and, and not come on too strong and come out too boastful. We've just been told and conditioned that it's just not really politically, not even politically, not just not polite. It's just not, it's just not culturally etiquette wise the right thing to do. So because of all of this, there's a little baggage, I think, when it comes to how we sell ourselves. And so my first, my first piece of advice is we need to get over that a little bit <laughs> because clearly even, you know, millennials and Gen Y, they don't have a hard time with that. I think because of social media, they're so accustomed to putting themselves out there you know they're you know the women today young women today professional young women today they're posting pictures of themselves in bikini shots and they have no problem I, mean, I will tell you a woman of a certain age would have never posted a picture of themselves in a bikini shot right. right so there's a whole different sort of sensibility around our own, own like personal branding and positioning um, with that said not everyone needs to be a personal brand. I mean, so I think there's some mixed messaging on that. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to have a blog or a podcast or be so aggressively out there. You need to do what you're comfortable with. But what I will tell you is that it is very important as far as you know, getting a job, and this is what we're talking about, how people actually get work, um, to be on places like LinkedIn, because that is the place to be seen. I mean, you need to have a presence. You need to have a digital presence. It doesn't mean that you need to be on Twitter all the time. It doesn't mean that you need to be on Instagram. Frankly, it doesn't mean that you need to be feeding your Facebook feed. But professionally speaking, the place to go is Instagram, and it's the very first place any sort of HR um, director or hiring manager is going to go. Um, it's the place where I go all of the time. So you need to make sure that what you're sending out into the world is how you want to present yourself. What is your summary? Who are you? What are your skills? And I mean, I, I often, and I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I talk about all these sort of LinkedIn hacks that I've done that I think are very helpful for people to sort of see, you know, the job that you want, see how the person who has that job, how are they describing themselves, what are the skills, because the language keeps changing. And for your audience, people who may have taken time out of the workforce for five years or 10 years or 20 years, you know, the language in the vernacular has changed. And I will tell you that I have scrubbed my LinkedIn account probably 15 times over the past five years because I keep seeing how language is, and, and by the way, this doesn't mean that you're lying about what it is that you do or what you're looking for. 
It just means that you're matching up with the sort of current popular language for the jobs in this and for the jobs that you're looking for. I mean, that's truly what it is. So you need to be okay with selling your skills and and get over any sort of squeamishness that it's too you know that you're being too boastful um, or that it's obnoxious. There is definitely a way to sell yourself in a way that is um, is smart and empowering and positive and assertive but shouldn't make you uncomfortable. That's a great idea to look at the LinkedIn profiles of people who currently have roles that like what you're seeking and see the language that you're, they're using to describe themselves. I really like that. Um, what is your opinion on the strategy of going to an in-person networking event with another person? And then when you're together with someone and, and you're introducing yourselves, that other person chiming in, Oh, she's really being modest. She's the X. She has done X, Y, Z, or so, and sort of doing that for each other. Or do you think that's that's just too risky? And I, I mean, I, I think that could be. I think that could be a really great technique. In fact, it sort of goes along with something that I write about called the amplification effect, um, which I'm a huge fan of. So for those, I'm sure you're. you're pretty familiar with that, Carol. But that whole amplification effect is the idea that other people are basically what you just suggested, giving a shout out. Because it's actually, in studies show this, it's more effective when someone else um, show you know gives a shout out to your strengths or hey you know i saw carol's you know ted talk take a look this is fabulous rather than carol saying take a look at my ted talk um that's sort of one step removed and that person could be your best friend or your mother or you know your best friend at work it, it's just it is effective so i love that idea especially because it could feel a little awkward to be at an event and say oh guys did you did you right. hear about my new book i mean that sounds a little <laughs> aggressive but you know carol's with me and Carol's like, hey, you guys need to check out Wendy's new book. Well, that feels a lot softer, a lot friendlier, a lot less aggressive. And women, we just don't like to, we don't like to see, be seen as being so aggressively out there. It rubs people the wrong way. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're perceived differently when men do it. It's okay when women do it. Um, it could feel a little bit uncomfortable. So yeah, there's there's all of that sort of hedging that we do, that we do. Um, but I love your idea about bringing bringing you know a co-pilot along, bringing your wing wing woman with you, and you can you know do that for each other. I think I'm gonna write a, a an article about this, Wendy. How this it's how we had this conversation on this podcast, and just to sort of highlight that particular strategy. So um, I'll let you know about that when that comes out, and and that sounds great. And, I love it and all that. Okay. Excellent. Um, now you you actually you have in your book these two scenarios: relaunching careers and also pivoting in your career. And we know that sometimes those two things can happen at the same time. Um, do you have any particular advice for career transitioners as a, as opposed to career relaunchers? Is it the same? Um, any comments on on that? Well, I mean, I I guess there's. There's definitely overlap for sure, right? Um, I, I would argue that is perhaps a little bit more challenging if you've really been out of the workforce force for a long time to completely re-enter. Going back to those feelings of you've lost your mojo, you feel like your network may have dried up, maybe you think that you're no longer good at any of these things or the world has changed so much that 
you used to work in marketing, but today you don't even understand Snapchat and why would anyone hire you? You know, so that could be a struggle. I think people who are in the workforce and say, you know, I've been an attorney for the past 20 years and I'm ready to, um, you know, learn how to code and, and, you know, and launch my own startup. Uh, intimidating, but maybe a little bit less so because you're actually still in the workforce. Uh, so you have contacts that are still alive and, and it, you haven't been feeling like all I've been doing is driving carpool for 10 years and feeling, you know, sort of insecure about your, your skill set. Um, so I think it's a little bit different, but I think you know, at, at, the, at the same time, one of the things that we need to do is we need to let people know that it is that we're looking for a new job or that we're looking to pivot. So there's a similarity there. The first thing is telling people. And, um, I, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I, I think so many of us also have lost their jobs. And that was like the genesis of me writing this book, feeling like feeling like panicked that I had lost a job and I was over 40. Uh, but, you know, so many people in, in so many industries are losing jobs all the time. They're getting bought out. They're too expensive. Companies are trying to just, you know, get rid of people. And I was sitting in the in my local bakery with um, a friend, you know, not a, not a close, close friend, but a friend of mine who had worked in television for 20 years. She had lost her job. And as she was sitting with me, she... Um, I would say, I said to her, what is it that you're looking to do and how can I help? And she said, I just don't know that, you know, she was like hemming and hawing on all over the place. And granted, on the one hand, I completely respect and understand that feeling of not knowing what to say and saying, I'm looking here, I'm looking there, I'm not really sure. On the other hand, I actually said to her and I gave her a little bit of tough love at the end because I knew she'd been looking for six months. And I said, you're sort of wasting the bullet with me. This is where you just choose one lane and you say, I'm looking to do X. I'm looking to work at a, media, a PR agency and work in communications. Can you help me? So I think that you can you can switch. You can be in multiple lanes, right? Depending on who you're talking to, she knows that I have a PR background. So she could say, you know what? I know that you've worked at these agencies. This is what I want to do now. Do you have a, Do you have any relationships that you'd feel comfortable connecting me with? done. I would have easily done that. To someone else, she might have said, you know what, I'm really sort of very entrepreneurial, looking to get into the startup world. I want to use my TV experience and move into, you know, whatever she's seeing because she's done some research. That's okay. It doesn't mean that you don't know what you want to do, you know, and and you're so wishy-washy. It means that you're trying different things out, which I think is absolutely fine. In fact, fantastic. Try out multiple things, but don't waste that opportunity. So going, circling back to your question, I think it's important whether you're pivoting into a new career path or you're relaunching entirely is that you don't waste those opportunities. You you choose something and you tell you tell people this is what I'm wanting to try and I know you have this background. Um, wanting you know I'm putting the word out there. I'm putting the energy into the universe that I'm I'm looking to get in. I know I'm gonna probably have to take a pay cut from when I left my career. I'm gonna have to do things differently. I realize I'm gonna have to start at a lower level. I'm willing to. I'm excited. I would love you know if you could connect me to this person. 
that's really where the similarities are. And so it's being direct, even if you're not feeling so incredibly secure, because lots of us don't. Lots of us are noodling around with a bunch of things, not really sure what's going to stick, but you need to show that you have some sort of direction. Right. And, you know, you know that process, um, you, sometimes we say to people that the career break is actually a gift because it's the first time that they allow themselves to step back and reflect on whether they were even on the right career path to begin with. And some people find they just fell into something early on without a lot of thinking about whether it was a good match or they were fulfilling someone else's expectations. And now with the transition and sometimes the career relaunch and the transition, they're connecting with what they really want to be doing or they've discovered about themselves or they should have been doing all along. So there's a liberating piece to that sometimes when you're making that 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 transition. Um, but it's also really hard. I, I guess I just want to say to people listening that on the irelaunch.com website, we have over 300 return to work success stories on there, including numerous success stories of people who did transitions like they were a national business development manager and took a 13 year career break and now uh, they're in a strategy role at a K through 12 independent school. We ha we actually had a relaunch dad who did that. So there, those stories are out there. They're possible. It's hard, but you can do it. So um, really, um, very, very happy that we were able to have this conversation, Wendy, today, and really recommend Wendy's book, Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers. Because as you can hear from um, how Wendy's talking, uh, she's very practical. It's based in real life, uh, her, her own experiences and that experiences of others. Uh, and she just has, she has creative advice and I think hard hitting advice for us. So Wendy, um, because we're finishing up now, can you um, end by giving us a piece of advice that you think is most important for people um, relaunching or pivoting, even if it's something that we've already talked about in today's conversation? Sure. You know, it's about taking some action. I'm really, I feel so strongly that you just need to take some action because it, it, it's sort of this sort of beautiful, almost organic process that when you start taking action, things start happening. I mean, I can, I can point to sort of so many pieces of my own personal life, plus so many things that I've researched that really truly show this. There's almost scientific theories around this <laughs> concept um, that it is about taking action and moving forward. It's about momentum. I mean, that is what physics is all based on too. And so once you start doing it, you will see you start putting yourself in places that maybe you never considered before for and you start putting yourselves out there and it's sort of and you are able to then to seize on opportunity that you never anticipated and to be ready for it and to not be afraid and get comfortable being uncomfortable that is really my mantra that is excellent advice thank you so much um how can people find out more about fearless and free and buy the book um, so the book is available everywhere, um, but easily found online. Go to Amazon or Target or Walmart or every, everywhere online you should be able to buy the book, um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and you can hear, find out more about me on my website, wendysacks.com. Um, my, my, you can email me. I'm, I'm very accessible <laughs> and happy to chat. Thank you so much, Wendy. So you have been listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast with strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after taking a career break. This is Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch and your host. 
If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for listening.